Good evening and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. It is a Sunday edition, Sunday night, April 15th, 2018. Uh, we've got a great show for you this evening. Our special guest is Stephen Snyder, MD. He's the author of the forthcoming book. Uh, it might be out right now, but I have an advanced copy, Love Worth Making, How to Have Ridiculously Great Sex and a Long-Lasting Relationship. So he'll be out in a few moments. So uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about what's going on today. On our Sunday night specials, what we do is uh, we uh, only take one commercial break. We speak with our guests, and then we kind of wrap after that. Uh, once a week, we do our Guys, 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 Guy of the Week and our Guys, Guys, Guide. We handle that on Wednesday, so we're doing a Sunday special edition tonight. So we're going to focus on uh, – on getting our guest out here. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. So guys, guys, radio, what is it? Well, this is the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins better men, better world. Uh, it all started with, uh, my novel, the guys, guys guide to love. And, uh, then we started doing guys, guys, radio. You can hear every podcast of guys, guys, radio, all 274, including this evening on blog, talk, radio, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in radio, and I would ask you, if you enjoy the show, to please uh, rate us on iTunes and subscribe and give us a review. That really helps because I'm bootstrapping this uh, podcast and uh, it's going great. We are booked with guests through the summer already and more to come. So we're having a blast here on Guys Guys Radio. You can catch me, Robert Manny, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. My website where I uh, blog and have a syndicated blog is uh, robertmannymanni.com. So that's all the commercial for this evening. In terms of talking about me, we will take one quick break. But let's talk about what's going on out there in kind of the guys, guys world. Now, guys, guys radio, this is it's not a bro show. It's not about beer and boobs. Uh, we do. We are guys. I am a guy. I'm a regular guy on a spiritual quest living a regular life. So. Uh, I look at things through the guy's guy's prison. What is a guy's guy? Well, it's kind of an updated man's man, so to speak. Uh, casual confidence, unassuming strength, seductive integrity, emotional intelligence, timeless style, and a lot of fun. So we're, we're guys. Guys, guys are guys. Uh, and this is a time where it's never been better time to be a man if you really take a look at it. Uh, and it's never been a time for that men could be whoever they want to be, yet it's never been less clear who men really are right now with all the things going on in our society and in the world today. So this is a good place to be on a rainy Saturday night, uh, Sunday night rather is guys, guys radio right here in the city. I'm uptown. It's cold. It's windy. It's rainy. We're having a crazy, crazy spring after a crazy, crazy winter here in New York. And uh, yesterday the temperature was almost up to 80. Everybody's walking around in shorts and tank tops. And I went through central park with my family and everybody was laying out on blankets and, you know, putting sunscreen on and everything. And then I woke up this morning, my son, who's, uh, he's going to turn five in about a month. He had his second T-ball game, which is down. They play way down by the river, by the, uh, riverside, uh, drive, uh, by 77th street, by the boat, boat basin. And they actually had to call off the, uh, practice and game because it was just, Wicked. It was wicked cold last week for the first uh, practice and game for these little today, even worse. So they just said, you know, we'll see you next week. So I was practicing with my son yesterday. The weather was good and we were doing like the ready position. I was uh, 
rolling them the, the ball, toss them some balls, teach them how to swing the bat. A lot of fun. We'll see if he if he goes for baseball. Nowadays, kids, they like soccer. They like action. Baseball is not quite as popular a sport to play. Uh, maybe it's a patience thing because, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, there weren't that many uh, uh, choices that we had. So, you know, spring came, you play baseball. Summer, you play baseball. Fall, you play football. Winter, you play basketball. And it was kind of a three-sport time. Now there's all kinds of stuff, whether it's soccer, lacrosse, or hockey. And uh, it's just uh, much more fast-moving. And baseball uh, baseball is the toughest thing to do in any sport, supposedly, is hit a baseball. So, uh, you know, it's very easy to just throw up your hands if you're a little kid and say, well, why do I want to deal with all of this? But once you get good at it, once you start, you can hit the ball and you can run the bases and you can pick up the ball and you can throw. And this is then like quality to baseball. And uh, it's a great game. It's like anything else. If you're an adult, you play golf. You know, golf's horrible until you start to get halfway decent at it. You break your 100, 100 the first time, you love it. Uh, same thing with skiing or chess or learning a foreign language. You, you got to put the work in. So it's one of the things I've been uh, talking to with my son. I'm saying, hey, you know, got to put the he doesn't want to practice. I'm like, you got to do a little bit of practice. So I, I turned on the Yankees game. I said, look, at these guys, as good as they are, they practice every day. Every day they practice before the game, they practice on the days they don't have a game. So got to put in the effort and, you know, showing up is 80% in life, as they say. And, you know, there's some truth to that on the, so, so this morning I took my son to uh river, uh, Morningside park and uh, we, he likes this one playground there. So we bundle up, we had the heat tech on and everything. It was cold. I went out, I didn't have gloves on, neither did he. And we couldn't, you had to have your hands in your pocket. It was that cold today. So we, we were walking across uh, Morningside Drive, uh, and we see a big red brown chicken standing right in front of Alexis, a chicken, on Sunday morning, like in Harlem, right in the middle of the street. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I turn, and I see this guy. He's hanging out. He's uh, sitting in a car. And he said, well, you see that? And I said, yeah. I said, it's, is it yours? He goes, no. He, he says, I just keep an eye on it. And uh, so I figured, mm, okay, I felt bad for the chicken because it was so cold out. He definitely looked lost uh, or she looked lost. I'm not sure which. And, uh, but I had my son, we, he, it was cold. So we figured, okay, this guy's got his eye on the chicken. So we go up to the playground and it was so cold at the playground that parents would show up and then they would stay for five minutes and the kids would complain or the parents would complain and then they'd leave. But we hung in there a little bit. Then there was nobody left in the playground. And my son's pretty good with the cold. And I said, hey, you want to go? We'll go back. You can watch a video if you want. We uh, parcel out the videos to him because we don't want him staring at the, uh, the TV all day. So anyhow, he says, yeah, let's go back. So we're walking back. I said, let's go see if the chicken's there. So we went back to where I remember where the chicken was. He was near this black Lexus parked on Morningside. And sure enough, look across the street. He had... The chicken had crossed the road. So the chicken's on the sidewalk and the same guy's kind of watching him. And I'm like, well, what's going on? He said, I just want to keep an eye on because uh, I don't want him to go out into the traffic. And I don't want to see people with their, you know, with their dogs want to take a, you know, go after him. And uh, which is a horrible thought. But, you know, people are crazy. So I said, okay, I have my phone with me. What precinct is this? So he tells me the precinct. I call up the cops. I explain the situation. I said, I'm sorry. It's kind of an odd one, but there's a chicken there and we don't want anything to happen to the animal. And uh, so five minutes later, two cops show up. 
and uh, they don't know what they don't know. You know, this is a new one for them picking up a chicken. So no, neither of them wanted to pick the chicken up. So we went to the garbage area and we found a box that had broken down box since the recycling. They put the box together and put it over the chicken and the chicken popped up and ran away with the box on him. And then we uh, had to do it again and we got another box. So one box underneath flattened out, one box on top of them. They actually got that was so funny to keep them from running in the road. They actually got the, the big uh, fiberglass shield out. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to tape it on my phone. I wanted to film it, but I, I felt, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed. I'm not looking to embarrass the police officers. They were nice enough to come by the ASPCA won't come by. I think the cops have to take the chicken and put it in a cage or something and then bring it to the ASPCA. I'm pretty sure that's how it works from what they were kind of uh, implying. So anyway, we <laughs> get the, the four of us get the chicken into the back of the police uh, wagon. It was kind of like a SUV. So it had like a trunk area. It's not like throwing it in the trunk trunk. It was like, a, you know, the SUV, the back of the SUV. So I thanked the officers and this guy who was kind of hanging out there. He comes up, he gives me a bro hug. And uh, my son and I went. So I explained to my son, like, he was like, why did we do that? What's with the chicken? I said, you know, it was cold. We don't want anything to happen to the chicken. It's always good to take care, you know, Take some time, take care of, uh, if you think an animal or somebody's in trouble, it's good to do something to take care of them. But craziness, this is just uh, living in New York City. You never know. People walk by, look at the chicken, like, oh, look at a chicken. And they keep going. Or other people just walk right by. I saw a couple. It was interesting. It was a guy, a gal, and uh, the, the, the woman, of course, being more noticing things. She's looking and smiling and kind of, I was going to chat her up, but he, she's with this guy who was just like marching down the street. And he wanted, he didn't even like nothing. He was like, he had his earbuds in or something and whatever. But crazy town, New York City, you see everything. But this is the first time in all my years here that I've seen a, a, a chicken on the street. So. That's my story there. Um, elsewhere, you know, we've got all the sports going on all at the same time. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, though. They had to call off some games today because it was cold and rainy. And there's a big rainstorm that's just gotten to New York and it's going to be here through tomorrow. And then all the scuttlebutt about the NFL draft. So we'll talk about that next week as we get closer to it. Um, last thing, I'm not going to get into politics and all of that. It's just too surreal now. But um my wife and I decided, let's, let's rent a movie. So we were at home and we went on Fios and said, let's see what they have. And we said, okay, let's look at old fashioned. Let's watch a movie. That's kind of a story. So we got uh, murder on the Orient express and uh, it wasn't very good. Unfortunately, uh, Kenneth Branagh, he, he's a good actor, but he, I think what happened, they had a great cast, Johnny Depp, Dame Judi Dench, Michelle Pfeiffer, Willem, Willem Dafoe, amongst others, and said, okay, you got a good cast here. It's a good classic story about this detective, Hercule Perot. Uh, maybe uh, it'll be fun. And, you know, you update it with all the cinematography and the CGI that they use today. We thought, okay, great. But, you know, I noticed at the end, we were saying something was missing because everything was all about the main character who was played by Kenneth Branagh. Well, he, apparently, I think he produced and directed, and it was basically his film. He starred in it, and it was his film, None of those other big names got, you know, more than 10 minutes at most screen time c combined uh, aggregate for each one. And it was all everything, every great line, every uh, great shot. It was all about the star of the movie, Kenneth Branagh. And he's a great actor, but it was just overkill because it took away from the story. It's the first time I ever noticed that, that it was like, you know, what happened to all these other 
this great cast. They got buried. So it's interesting what can happen when you take a great story, a classic story, and uh, it gets interpreted through somebody's particular lens. So anyhow, I would not, I'm not recommending the movie, the movie, but it's a great story. And uh, it could have been, if it was done, I think a little better, uh, I think it would have done uh, more ticket sales in the movies and uh, they could have made some sequels on it because there's a whole, there's a whole series of stories about this uh, world's best detective. So anyhow, just my two cents on that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a very, very, very short break. And then we're going to bring our special guest on for the evening. And we're going to spend the rest of the show with him, uh, Stephen Snyder, MD. We're going to talk about his book. We're going to talk about love worth making, how to have ridiculously great sex in a long lasting relationship. And we're going to basically, we're going to talk about sex. So let's take a very quick break. I'm going to try. I've got a new sound bite. One of my guests made for me, uh, Raika. And she is the greatest, and she also does some opera. So let me uh, play this right now as we go to commercial break. The Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, we're back. Uh, Guy's Guy's Radio, as I mentioned, our special guest tonight is Stephen Snyder, MD. Let me tell you a little bit about him and his book. Um, he's an associate clinical professor of psychiatry at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. His insights on sex and relationships and sex therapy are widely, widely sought in and uh, have established him as one of the freshest and original writers in the sex field today. Um, he's been uh, named a New York Magazine Best Doctor every year since 2012. He's helped over 1,500 individuals and couples regain closeness, closeness and satisfaction in their relationship. Um, you know, anybody who's married, who's, who's been in a long-term relationship, has kind of uh, probably approached some time frame where, you know, the steam has run out a little bit in the chemical attraction, if you will, that leads to, uh, to sex. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing. And, uh, I think probably everybody's gone through it. So let's get the real skinny from our expert, Dr. Steven Snyder, MD. Good evening, Thank Dr. So Snyder. How are you? Thank you so much, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. Enjoy the show. Great. Thank you. And, uh, I apologize because for the first time in my podcasting career, I actually had double booked guests for the same <laughs> evening and I saw your number when you called in. I'm like, I saw a 212 number. I'm like, oh, wow, I got a call already. Then I realized after the show that I had made a, a blunder. But uh, no, the good news is it worked out better. Good. I'm so glad. So, and I apologize. So, anyhow, let's talk about what's going on here. What, what, why, why is there, let's get to the big overarching issue. Yeah. When you're in a long term relationship, the gas kind of can, can run out of the sexual aspect of it. What, what is the usual cause of this? Oh, it's, it's just the, the nature of things. Erotic attraction is, is more intended to get you into a relationship than to keep you happy once you're in one. It's designed to kind of do its job. And once you're in bonded together and attached to each other, it's kind of done its job. A lot of people, when they first get together, they, there's all the novelty, and there's also the need for reassurance. You know, people having sex, you know, three times a day and so forth. You know, they're, they're horny, but they also need a lot of reassurance. After several months, you just don't need that kind of same reassurance. And couples don't always just, you know, hang out side by side the same way. So it's, it's usually a mark that you're uh, feeling a little more confident in the relationship. 
Um, but one it sometimes of, doesn't feel like ahead. that way. It feels, you know, couples can say, oh, my God, what's happened? We don't feel horny for each other anymore. And mm-hmm. the uh, literature and media are full of advice for couples as to how to get it hot again, you know, heat it up, steam it up, make it hot. And uh, I, my book is a contrarian book. We go in a completely different direction. We say, now forget that. That works for like a week and a half, and then it gets cold again. Um, my book says don't try and make it hot because you're kind of forcing something on your sexual self. Right, Instead, right. just just kind of take a deep breath, go to bed together, not to have sex, but just to kind of do nothing together. And just cultivate that state of mind of being kind of in the moment, which when you're in your first couple of months in the relationship, that state of mind happens naturally. After the first couple of months, it doesn't happen naturally. You have to cultivate it. The the, uh, word I use, the technique I use in the book is called the two-step. Step Step one is the cultivation of a mindful state of mind, and step two is to have have sex. Mm Why is it? Um, our, 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 you've met so many different people. Uh, I I was single for so long that uh, people stopped asking me when I'm getting married, and uh, then I got married, and I'm glad I did. And we have a beautiful son. You have a it's interesting when I was, yeah, he's going to be five, and uh, and he's sharp as a tack and a very nice person, which I'm very pleased about. Um, so. I was with, I was in long-term relationships, you know, and one in particular was like 18 months. We met every weekend. We made love the entire weekend. It was fantastic. And then we just, nothing happened after that. And then another one was about eight years or so. And it was like a marriage, but it wasn't a marriage. And, uh, but we had sex all the time. Yet I hear one of the unspoken things is we didn't have a kid or anything. One of the unspoken things I think is, that um, and you mentioned it in your book is a lot of times what happens when uh, women have children, they something the f- switch is flipped and um, it's one of the things with men like we don't get that in the guidebook. So, so exactly. I think a lot of guys are surprised about it and guys don't talk about this stuff with each other. So talk to us a little bit about that. I'm sure you hear it all the time. Give us your guidance on that. Absolutely. Well. When you're single, one of the main things that motivates you to want to have sex a lot is that you're touch-starved. You're not getting touched enough. Mm -hmm. And so you're dying to have sex, but you're also dying to have somebody touch you. It just feels so good. When you're married, kind of the same thing, although you're getting touched a lot by your spouse, so that's all good. Then when you have kids, you're getting over-touched. And you're getting somebody hanging on you and drooling on you and throwing up on you and always wanting to kind of put their fingers in your ears and your nose, you know. And at the end of the day, you just want to be left alone and have nobody touch you. So that's really antithetical to having good sex. Um, And it's especially so for women because once the umbilical cord forms, uh, even though it later gets cut, it never gets completely cut in a psychological way. Classic situation is a couple having sex, and they've got a you know two year old or something asleep in the next room, and the right. wife hears wife hears a noise. She goes, oh wait a minute, wait a minute. something something's wrong with Billy, and and the guy goes, he's fine. <laughs> the wife said, no no no, I'm sure there's something wrong. The guy goes, come on, he's fine, <laughs> and she just can't let it rest. She's just got to check it out. And like you said at the beginning, you said women notice things a lot more, and they notice all the noises, and they notice everything. And as a man, you don't really get your wife's complete attention from the moment your first child is born until the moment your last child leaves the home. And <laughs> So true. 
Yeah, no, we have we're we're about to launch our second child and last child uh, oh, as, as she's a senior in in high school. Where she's about to go to to uh, Israel next year on a gap year and then go to college. And we're exactly. just so happy. I'm just so happy I can get my wife's attention. Or rather, I think so, and I'm, I'm hoping that actually happens. I'll report to you back whether whether it happened or not. But uh, attention is absolutely fundamental for sex. That's one of the reasons we have sex is so mm-hmm. we can get the other person's attention. As you read my book, the theory in the book behind all right. human sexual experience is that it's not just about pleasure. It's about narcissistic gratification, about having the other person's complete and total attention. And the last time most of us had that is during earliest infancy with mother-infant bonding, when we just really had mm-hmm. that, that intense holding and rocking. And that's why all love songs uh, have the word be my baby in it, you know, because there's just something about baby, which is the model for that kind of extreme attention where you're the most important person in the universe to another person. You don't get that after you have kids. Okay. Um, how, uh, it seems like, um, you talk about the, uh, finding your sexual self a lot and you, uh, quote these, Avadah Ofit. Talk to us Oda about Ovid. the importance. Yeah. yeah. Talk to us about the importance of, uh, of that to your work. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm very glad you asked about that because it's one of the reasons I wrote the book. You know, you hear a lot mm-hmm. of sex books about uh, uh, technique and, you know, the best right. vibrator and the best positions and so forth. Mm-hmm. And your Cosmo is every month is another position. And you exactly. hear a lot about fantasy and whips and chains and how to get it hot and that kind of thing. And you don't really hear much about that narcissistic dimension that I just mentioned. And what I mean by that is kind of healthy narcissism, the, the narcissism that kids have where they naturally want to be treated like the most important person in the world. We all grow up and learn that we're not the most important person in the world and we get appropriately humble and we don't get everybody's attention all the time um, and that's going to be okay. We're going to manage it all right. But your sexual self is this very young, immature part of you that never learns that. It never learns that it's not the most important person in the world. During sex, if you don't feel like the most important per- world, person in the world to your partner, it can be very, very jarring. So that's what I meant. It's that primitive part that really never grows up from that state of infantile narcissism. And that's what makes sex so delicious, is to mm-hmm. kind of get back to that state of narcissistic satisfaction and to be the whole universe to another person. Yeah, I think that's part of, you know, one of your counterintuitive uh, insights is that instead of, uh, you say it, you should take more interest in yourself. Am I getting that right? Well, in a way, uh, what I mainly was, was wanted to get across is kind of a counter to what you usually read out there. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, cover of Cosmo, seven ways to drive him wild in bed. Um, And great positions that she'll thank you for, that kind of thing. Those all have to do with a kind of sexual generosity. And there's all sorts of uh, uh, praise of sexual generosity in the, the press and in the media. Unfortunately, it doesn't make for really hot sex. The, what makes for really hot sex usually is a kind of selfish connectedness. It's a little bit difficult to put into words, but people know it when they see it, and they usually express it as passion. You know, in romance novels, no hero ever rips the woman's clothes off and then says, okay, now tell me how you like to be touched. Instead, mm-hmm. he just consumes her because he finds her so irresistible and she's so delicious. And, you know, women are reading that. They're just flipping the pages really, really quickly because they just, that just so, feels so hot to them. And so 
it was a time about 50 years ago when many men were neglectful of women's pleasure. We would say that's kind of masculine, 20th century masculinity 1.0. And now we're in the 21st century. We're in 2.0. And a lot of guys are just trying to do a good job. And they're trying to make sure they check off the boxes. Have I done this? Have I gone down on her long enough? Did she get an orgasm? And women right. are coming to my office and they're going, boy, this is just so boring. There's just no passion in it. It's like he's trying to get a good grade. Mm-hmm. So I'm pushing for 3.0. 3.0 is somewhere in between. You're mindful of your partner and you know you want them to be pleased. But the main thing is that you're enjoying them. And that's really where it harkens back to mother-infant interaction, which I know is a bit of a wild theory, but um, I, I believe it's at the core there for humans. I agree. So help, helpless and dependent for so yep. long. You know, we have that called the fourth trimester after birth where we're developing mm-hmm. we're helpless. No other animal has that, and no other animal has that intense attachment and dependence like we do. So um, I say in my book that it's like a mother enjoying her baby's feet. She's not trying mm-hmm. to give the baby a good time by kissing the baby's feet. She's just taking pleasure from the baby's mm-hmm. feet because they're so yummy. And the baby really enjoys that. The baby really likes the fact that somebody is having a good time with them. And that's what Got everybody it. wants during lovemaking. They want to be enjoyed. So that's the main point, I think, is to okay. enjoy your partner selfishly but really enjoy them. All right. I always ask guys in my practice, yeah, go on. No, no, no. Uh, well, let, let's go ahead with what you're going to say because yes, actually I, I think ask, it's going to dovetail yes. into my next question. I always ask guys in my practice, all right, you're touching your wife's body. Are you touching her body for your pleasure or her pleasure? And they all go very dutifully, oh, for her pleasure, of course. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? I go, oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, you're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. She's going to get bored. And then it becomes right. like an operation with certain goals. You know, that's really, really sterile. No, I, to- I totally get your it. Pleasure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a whole different vibe that comes across then too, because then she feels like she's really wanted because you're getting so off on her instead of he's trying to get you off, like trying oh to, as you say, start the lawnmower, right? Exactly. It, it, it is a the story at the beginning of this of the book called "Your Wife Is Not a Lawnmower." Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a nod to Oliver Sacks from a couple of decades yep. ago, the man who mistook his wife for a hat. Um, mm-hmm. The man who mistook his wife for a lawnmower is trying to kind of start her up. You know, he kind of kind of diddling her, hoping to get her wet and ready for intercourse so he can put it in. And uh, and you got to tell this guy, no, no, that's not way to do it. You're not supposed to try and get her hot. You're just supposed to just enjoy her. And that she's under no pressure to get hot or not. She can just do whatever she wants, and she can enjoy you back. And they kind of look at you like you have three heads, but after a couple of weeks, they kind of get it, and they go, oh, yeah, now I see how it's supposed to work. Okay, for the benefit of our, our listeners, um, how, do you, uh, how does a typical sex therapist work with a couple that comes in? And then how do you do it? Uh, how do you do a little bit? I think it sounds like you do things a little bit different, because I think the um, – most people would think most guys at least because they don't think about going to a sex therapist i think maybe women are more savvy about what there is to mm-hmm. be expected i think guys think oh i go in there and then i have to open up to talk to somebody about oh. my sex life and i i hope it's a woman and then you know oh do i get a surrogate do i get to get laid with somebody <laughs> else uh, for practice or something and i think guys because they don't think about it they have it all wrong and women are a lot more savvy so tell us what uh, the uh, practice is all about, and then how, uh, like, what's your special sauce, if you will, doctor? Okay. Well, actually, guys are usually relieved to see a guy because when they see a really? woman, 
oh yeah, they're sure that their wife and the woman is going to gang up on them. Oh. Um, whoever's the odd gender out in the triad is going to feel ganged up <laughs> okay, on. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I frequently get calls from women saying, I got to see you with my husband. I looked on Google for a male sex therapist and you were like one of the only ones because, you know, they're like six wow. female sex therapists mm-hmm. for every male one. Women really sure. kind of own the dialogue about sex, sexuality these days. We men are kind of an endangered species, which is really, really interesting. Um, so what I do is I like to get the whole story from the moment you became a couple of what what's your sexual relationship like? Did, were you satisfied? Were you thrilled and delighted? Did you kind of lose IQ points with each other? Did you get dumb and happy? Did you get really, really aroused together? And, okay, that's the start. Now what's the next chapter? What happened then? And then what happened next? And, what's, and they get all the chapters and to see what happened. And for many couples, it's the first time they've kind of put that together in sequence. And they go, oh, yeah, I can see how we got to where we are now where we're only having sex like quarterly. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see exactly how that happened. So that's number one. Now you, to get the whole okay, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Go. And the second thing, which is even more important, is to really be intrusive and weird about it and to get the very, very specific details about what goes on in the bedroom, really the blow-by-blow. Blow. It's a little bit like that question I mentioned. When you touch your wife's body, are you doing it for her pleasure or for yours? And so uh, you get that kind of thing. Okay, then will you go down on her? Yeah, yeah, I'd go down on her. Does she like that? Yeah, I think so. Well, do you like that? Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, does it turn you on? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'd like to hear her moan, but it's not really my favorite thing in the world. Does she know that? Yeah, I kind of knew that. You know, that you get all that detail. And once you get all that detail, then the couple is much more conscious in bed of what's going on. And they can really focus on the actual feelings. You know, not only what you mm-hmm. were doing, but how it felt. I would say the special sauce is to focus on the feelings. And specifically, the feelings of arousal or unarousal. Most people get confused because they think of arousal as like hard or wet. Really, what's more important is excited psychologically. And I had, in order to write the book, I had to come up with kind of a new vocabulary for talking about that. Mm-hmm. And I decided, based on speaking with hundreds and hundreds of couples, that the most important part of excitement is loss of IQ points. It's really just getting dumb and happy together. So we yeah. really don't mm-hmm. darn about anything. Your time sense gets all distorted. That's why teenage kids always arrive home at 3 in the morning if they were aroused because mm-hmm. they just kind of got lost. And, um, you'll see this with your son in about, a te- about 10 years. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he'll, he'll come home at 3 in the morning, and you go, what happened? And you go, oh, this is what Dr. Snyder was talking about. <laughs> um, and uh, then you get to where you're feeling very selfish. There's a selfish quality when you get really aroused. You know, you feel really into your partner, but you don't really want to hear about their day you know you just want them to tell you that you're wonderful and that everything's wonderful um and then finally you have that deep sense of validation where he goes oh yeah yeah this is where i live this really hits the spot by the way that's why you know people who have like same-sex attraction uh, uh often can have sex with the opposite gender it just doesn't give them that feeling of yeah yeah this is where i live and so that's mm-hmm. why it doesn't really make it a lot of times so, so after I, you yeah go ahead go i'm sorry no, yeah, no. So, so I'd like you're, to get that information, not only what you do, but how you actually felt while you were doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you uh, kind of qualify the couple, get into all their details. Do you give them, and then I'm assuming they're going to come back, do you give them like homework, things to, to practice? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it has a long and complicated story. 
as you probably know, sex therapy was invented by Masters and Johnson back in the 1960s. Right. They were the only sex mm-hmm. experts in the world, basically. And so couples would go down to Masters and Johnson's clinic and meet with them in the morning and then go back to their hotel room in the afternoon and do little right. exercises, which were mainly mindfulness exercises. They had to do with just getting into the present moment, suspending judgment, and just suspending goals and not having any demands on each other, which is a beautiful and wonderful thing and still is. And they used to do that every day. And then outpatient sex therapy got started on a long-term basis, and couples would be doing these various mindfulness exercises, like, you know, two or three times a week. In Manhattan, basically nobody does that. So I'm not as big into homework And most couples that I see are able to have sex. That's not the problem, unless they have, like, severe performance or anxiety or something. The kicker is usually just to tweak things so that they're having better sex and that they're getting to deeper feelings. And to do that, you don't need a lot of homework. You just need an openness to reporting what you actually felt and talking about what got you there and what didn't. In addition, yeah? In addition, no, no, it's also ahead. useful for each person to own their own experience as a separate entity. Not, we had great sex, but I had great sex, and my partner had great sex. We just happened to be doing it to each other, with each other, but, but we had separate experiences. My experience was different from their experience. And to separate the experiences can also be extremely helpful. In today's society, do you find that um, you know the whole the whole number one the whole issue of uh, people needing to talk to professionals uh, about sex is uh, a reflection of uh, the society we live in? Number one, number two, do you find because of the way of our society and culture uh, kind of behaves, if you will, that a lot of times um, people will get into uh, repetitive uh, behavioral patterns? So, in other words. But let's let guys like porn and then they expect their partner, their female partner to get all decked out. And they like just certain things, certain ways. And uh-huh. for women, that can become very boring uh, after a while or maybe they like they love it. Who knows? But do you find that um, behaviorally you, you run into uh, is patterning uh, an issue? It's a good question. And I think there are many questions in what you're asking. Um, Porn is a really, really interesting one because sex is kind of Pavlovian, like Pavlov's dog. Every time he Mm -hmm. feeds his dog, he rings the bell, and the dog's not stupid. The dog hears the bell, and he knows that some food's coming. So um, sex is very, very much like that. We're easily conditioned that way. Unfortunately, most guys use porn in private when their wife's not there or when she's asleep. So wife falls asleep, that's a signal to go look at porn. Or wife leaves the house, that's a signal to look at porn. Wife comes back in the house or wakes up, that's a signal to turn off the sex. So her Mm -hmm. body becomes associated with stopping sexual arousal. That's really, really bad. So I always tell guys, you can look at porn, it's fine. But make sure you're having at least as many orgasms in bed with your wife as you are with porn. Otherwise, uh, you're going to get that conditioning. You're going to get hot when you start to feel the keys of the keyboard and not when you're in bed with your wife. So the, how about the women? How did, in your experience, how do the women take that? Not your comments, but the fact that uh, you know how men are even married men are like have a have a porn thing. Yeah, and it's really weird. I I I hear it mostly from younger people, uh, people in their teens and twenties. 
because they've watched so much porn that they really right. do think that the various tropes in porn are, uh, you know, kind of good lovemaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so so the woman will say to a man, you, you want to choke me now? You know, it's really <laughs> weird stuff you never heard 20 yeah. years ago. <laughs> you want to slap me? You want to you know, spank me? It's very strange. Um, unfortunately, porn is, is made for camera angles. So the positions people right. use in porn aren't really the positions people use when they really make love. And you don't really see represented in porn the kind of dreamy, hypnotic, losing IQ points, I don't give a darn about anything state of mind that you're really trying mm-hmm. to cultivate. Instead, you just see kind of an athletic thing. And you see guys like jackhammering away, which doesn't do anything for most women. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan, actually. Okay. Um, how about... Uh... The Straight Man's Dilemma that you mentioned in the book. Tell us, talk to us about that because I think our listeners would like to know about that. I'm Absolutely. Sure I'm, really, you know, I'm really glad to be on a show having to do with men because, as you know, there are not that many shows having to do with men. Well, and, we're doing our best. But, you know, we yeah. have a lot of women. Believe it or not, uh, uh, the door had to open through women to get to the guys in a I lot of ways. That. Same thing I happened with my, with my novel. Um, mm-hmm. It's a book about men for women and uh, – women buying it and then guys kind of got wind of it. And when they read it, they said, cause it's not a typical book that guys would typically read. It's like a rom-com, but they said, yeah. Oh, that's us. So very they were happy. So I, I, that's why I figured, well, let me just keep going with this thing. But anyhow, yeah, go ahead. Very doctor. interesting because, uh, you know, male identity really is a work in progress in the 21st century. Oh yeah. Especially um, for the young guys, for the millennials, yeah. you've got, uh, you know, they're caught between the MMA and manscaping. They don't know who they are. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, remind me what the question was because I forgot. Okay. Uh, I, but that's what? okay. We don't have to go back to it. We're well, talking well, about uh, it's there. It's floating around. I'll I'll, I'll yeah, retrieve yeah. it. Had to do with 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 uh, men's identity somehow. Uh, um, it's, it's escaping me too. Oh, straight um, man's dilemma. Straight. Man's oh yeah, dilemma. yeah. The straight man's dilemma. Here's the straight man's dilemma. We said that sex involves a regression to an infantile state of mind. Women are allowed to enact that during lovemaking. A woman can giggle and act silly and pout and act childish and so forth. A man can't. He can't act childish. That's a real turnoff for most women. So a man, although he can regress to some extent, he can't regress fully. The only time most men can regress fully in bed is a couple of seconds before orgasm, where they can really let themselves go and become just... Mommy! No, I don't know about mommy, but that'll really turn off women really really fast, unless you're Spanish. Um, But um, because, you know, a a woman can do the daddy thing with a guy, right? right? But a a man can't do the mommy thing with a woman. So... And the, the implication of this is that men still in the conventional script for heterosexual lovemaking are supposed to act like leaders. They're supposed to be decisive. If a woman asks a man, where do you want to go out for dinner? And the guy goes, I don't know. Where do you want to? Big turnoff. The guy's supposed right. to have a plan. He's supposed to mm-hmm. make a decision so the woman can turn off her mind because she's been working all day long and exactly. she's got to have the ability to just surrender to him. So that's the way it goes. It's like couples dancing. The man makes the move. He decides on the move. He twirls the woman around, and she goes, oh, this is great. This guy really knows what he's doing. So men are supposed to act like leaders. Now, here's the problem. 
when a man is critical of a woman, she can pout, she can act hurt, she can mope, um, she can do all sorts of regressive things, and that's regarded as gender appropriate. If a woman acts critical of a man, he's not supposed to pout or mope or act hurt right. or in any way mm-hmm. act childish. Take it. He's supposed to just take it. He's supposed to be strong. And a guy can pretend he's strong, but most guys are not really that strong, especially if there's something that's, that where they've been criticized that really got them where they live. So there's nothing they can do. So what most men do under those circumstances is they withdraw. And that causes lots of trouble in, uh, in heterosexual relationships. The man is just trying to act strong. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And he withdraws. The woman doesn't understand that at all because uh, women very rarely withdraw like men do. So she feels abandoned. That makes her feel even more critical of him because he's just withdrawn from her and abandoned her. And that makes the guy feeling more helpless and he doesn't know what to do, so he just withdraws further. And then he starts withdrawing Mm -hmm. sexually as well because he just feels upset and he can't really function sexually with all those emotions going on. And the woman feels rejected sexually, which is a terrible, terrible thing to do to a woman because women like to feel desirable, and if they don't feel desirable, it's like they're lacking oxygen. I mean, they're acutely distressed in the relationship, and then they get really, really upset. The guy withdraws even further, and the woman starts to say, are you gay? Are you gay? Do you think I'm fat? You know, all sorts of stuff. And by then, things really go down the tubes. And this, I would say this is 90% of all couples that I see who are in trouble. They go down this one pathway. That's why I call it the straight man's dilemma. Mm-hmm. You talk about a couple other things, uh, speak, speaking of which... Uh... The two-step process, which is uh, there's a combination of breathing and stillness. So I, I know you mentioned it briefly before, but I'd like to get into that a little bit yeah. and elaborate on it, and also the difference between simmering and cuddling. So okay, two-step great. process and simmering and cuddling. Okay. Well, hey, I read your book. So. Uh, you, you definitely did. I'm very, very uh, grateful to you for that. Um, yeah. So very good these, book, these by are, the way. Before you answer, I uh, just want to let the listeners know that the book is not what you'd expect. It's not like a highly clinical scientific book. It's, it has the right information in it for you, but it's very uh, user-friendly and it's written um, in a very conversational tone. So you did a good job. And I think you, it was a good, good choice to make when tackling this type of subject. So congrats to you, doctor. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, I, I, I wrote it as a collection of stories because, you know, basically yep. that's what people remember. People remember stories. And so uh, uh, I'm glad that worked. So two-step is well, – I invented it along with – helped by a number of couples I was working with at the time as an alternative to the sex date. The conventional recipe, if a couple's not having sex, is to go have a sex date. Put it on the calendar. Here's the problem. It comes on the calendar, you hop into bed, and neither of you really feel like having sex because, mm-hmm. you know, you're in a marriage, you're already touched by your kids and so forth, and you've seen each other a million times, and you just, the desire is just for one reason or another is not there. So it's a recipe really for bad sex. So I say don't, don't, don't go have sex just because it's that time. Don't make a date to have sex. Make a date to two-step. Step one is to disengage and side by side, naked or nearly naked in bed, just each of you just tune in to your experience, what you're feeling, what the emotions are, just let them happen without judgment, let them pass. Be aware of the points of contact between your body and the mattress. 
open up your senses, the temperature in the room, the atmosphere, whatever you can see out the window, if you're lucky enough in New be York present. to be able to see, to be seen, and be present. And it's that state of quiet presence. That's where all the good stuff happens. So that's the two-step. And there are many, many examples in the book of couples doing two steps. And it doesn't even have to be that. It could be a present conversation where you're just listening to each other, um, but not really getting too involved in trying to argue or anything like that. You're just kind of hanging out. And the, the core of it is just doing nothing. So it's like they used to say in Zen Buddhism, don't just do something, sit there. So it's not do something, it's just sit there. And just opening yourself up to the erotic potential around you. Got it. Does that make sense um, as an explanation of yeah, the two steps? Perfect sense. Perfect sense. Okay, um, good. Simmering what? is the exact same thing, um, okay. but on a smaller level. Simmering is just enjoying an erotic moment, even under circumstances where you're not going to have sex. You know you're not going to have sex. You're completely exhausted. Kiss your partner goodnight. Don't just kiss her goodnight. Simmer her goodnight. I mean, enjoy her body. Feel excited. Let her know you feel excited, um, and then just fall asleep. And you know you can signal that to your partner. You say, "This is just simmering. Is that okay?" And they go, "Yeah, yeah." You go, "You sure you're not going to feel frustrated?" "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good." <laughs> you know, so people like to be simmered. It kind of it's a little frustrating, but it's mm-hmm. a good frustration. It kind of keeps you in the game. Um, and the uh, paradigm for simmering is teenagers. Teenagers simmer all the time. They simmer for hours, and they yep. really like it. And they get kind of lost in the experience. That's how come they come home at 3 a.m. not knowing what happened to them. And um, you get two teenagers in between classes. They have three minutes in between the class. They hold each other, make out a little bit, hold each other's bodies, mold to each other, inhale each other's scent. And then the bell rings, and they go up in opposite directions feeling just a little buzzed. And that's how it should be. Every every married couple can do that. You know, you could simmer each other goodbye. You could simmer each other goodnight, simmer each other in the kitchen. And I think, for, especially for Manhattan couples, it's really more the simmering than the sex that keeps you together long term. Because most Manhattan yeah. couples don't have sex often enough to really keep an erotic groove going. But with simmering, you just kind of keep things, you know, you, you keep yourself in mind. Yeah, it's either simmering or get a king-sized bed and uh, carve out your own territory sometimes. <laughs> exactly. uh, well, here, let me throw up the money question at you. Okay. Yeah. The reality is, okay, so you're a guy, and um, you married your wife, and she's beautiful, and then you have a kid, and How then the know? wife doesn't yeah. have, doesn't feel as good about her body, and she's not that interested in sex, and then she notices that you just want sex, and you haven't done the things to make her feel attractive, so she's not that interested in you, and then the guy just wants to ultimately just like he wants to get laid and she doesn't care because her oxytocin is headed towards her child or children or whatever. Yeah. And then everybody's very busy and tired. And the guy's like, well, why don't I just go get laid someplace? And then the wife's not interested in the sex. We don't have to have sex and everything else is, is copacetic. Yeah. Have you gotten that situation from people? Yeah, sure. This is the, this is the open marriage question or the consensual non-monogamy, as it's called these days. Um, So it's a great question. I was on the Today Show a couple months ago talking about this with Megyn Kelly. We had a lively discussion with all sorts of interesting couples. Um, So my take on it is that if you're trying to do it in order to cure unhappiness or dissatisfaction in your marriage, it's not going to work. Here's why not. The third person that you're going to bring into the, your in, into your life is not just a need satisfier. Mm-hmm. The third person is 
an actual person with their own needs, and that's going to get complicated. It always right. does. And so I tell couples, it makes about as much sense to introduce a new person into your relationship in order to cure marital unhappiness as to have a baby to a cure marital unhappiness. Right. You know, and it's the same fantasy. I'm going to introduce this new person who's going to take care of making me happy. Here's the problem. That baby is not doesn't care about making you happy. That baby is a complete person of its own with its own needs. And so it's a catastrophe if you're approaching it that way. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very much dubious about open marriage for most Got people. It. I believe there are exceptions. I believe there are some people, truly enlightened souls, who just don't feel jealousy and who have an expansive capacity um, and who can make it work. But those people are doing it because that's really what they like. It's like a gay person being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, right. it, it's not because their primary relationship is, is, has become unsatisfying. A better thing, you know, you never want to tell somebody not to do something unless you're going to come up with a better recommendation. A better recommendation for a guy whose wife has lost interest in him because he's kind of lost interest in her, and you never really know uh, who's lost interest first, is to selfishly get back to paying attention to each other. Mm -hmm. To say to your wife, you know what, I want to do something, and it's a little offbeat. I just want to enjoy your body for my own pleasure. And she means to me like that. I I thought you were going to say vacuuming. Uh, (laughs) No, that doesn't, that doesn't tend to work. Uh, It's, (laughs) uh, it's, it's, it's okay. See, here's the thing about vacuuming. Vacuuming is great if it's combined with passion. (laughs) So if you're passionate about your wife and she knows you're passionate towards her and you're going to vacuum so she's a little more rested at the end of the day. Hey, well, you know, sign me up. That's great. But if she's doubting your passion for her and you go vacuuming, she goes, I don't want vacuuming. I want a real man. I want passion. So vacuuming is not going to do it. A lot of guys make that mistake. It has to be some real physical attention. You say, look, lie on your stomach. This is a little bit of a two-step thing. Lie on your stomach. I just want to enjoy your body. You don't have to do anything. And you just start with her toes, and you go all the way up to the top of her head and just appreciate her body and just witness it and experience it. And if you, if you feel like it, enjoy it. And you're, you're studying it. You're really kind of approaching it as the uh, other thing that it is because you think it's familiar, but it's really not that familiar. And most partners will respond to that. They'll go, you know, that was a different kind of experience. And you go, good. Did you feel excited? No, I didn't feel excited. Well, I did. You know, so one person could feel excited and the other didn't. That's totally fine because your experiences are separate. You say, you know, I want to do that again sometime. And you make sure to follow up because a lot of guys will do it and then not follow up because they get distracted by something else. So for a lot of guys, especially guys who are more distractible, you really have to put it as an alert on your iPhone to enjoy your partner's body. And, you know, she could know about it or not, but it's really, really important to do. you got to put it as an yep. alert. Good. Okay. That was a great answer, and thank you. So um, anything else you want to uh, share with our listeners? What's the number one tip you can give couples? Number one tip you can give couples is to make sure you're losing IQ points together. Got it. It doesn't matter what you're doing sexually, what thing goes where and how the two of you come in contact 
it's fine with me, as I say in the book in Chapter 9, if you want to just, like, cuddle up with your partner, have them rub their breasts on you, and you can just give yourself an orgasm with your own hand while you're making out. That's fine, as long as everybody's cool with it. The key thing is that you lose IQ points, that you regress to a different mm-hmm. state of mind. Uh, and that's really, it doesn't matter whether you have an orgasm, it doesn't even matter whether you're having sex, as long as you can get that regressive thing going, that's really the key. And that's chapter one of the book, is how to regress. Perfect. Okay, well, listen, uh, Dr. Steve, you're fantastic. I think the book's great. I'm really Thank glad you're you so on the show. Uh, we need more guests like you. No, there's you. nothing wrong with my other guests, but I think you're offering <laughs> a, a whole new uh, an area that I think that men need to have a dialogue and to uh, get more involved in. And I think okay. your uh, solution delighted to come back at some point if you like and we can talk yeah, about Yeah, let's it. find a, let's well, find a topic and then we'll bring yeah, you back my next and book, let's do my it next again. Book, this, this book is called Love Worth Making. The next book is called Men Worth Keeping. And it's also for oh, women and it's about fantastic. uh you know how to how to understand guys because we do a little bit of that in Love Worth Making. We're going to do a lot more in the next book. Fantastic. Okay, let's do that. Okay. All right. Well, listen, tell tell our audience where they can find the book and where they can find more about you. I know you have a great website, so tell us everybody, tell everybody about it. Well, it's, a, it's available in any bookstore um, and anywhere books are sold. It's available on Amazon. You just dial in Love Worth Making or my name, Stephen Snyder, MD. Um, and it also has a book page on my website, which is really easy to remember. It's loveworthmaking.com. Just love making with the word worth stuck in the middle. So loveworthmaking.com. Fantastic. Well, listen, Dr. Steven, I'm really thrilled that you were on the show. I, again, apologize for the delay, but it was worth no, the wait for me. Definitely and, worth uh, the wait for me, too. Thank you great. so, so much, Robert. Okay. All right. Best we'll do it again. You. All right. Take well. care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Okay, folks, that was our special guest for this evening, Dr. Steven Snyder. And the book, again, is Love Worth Making. Um, we Good discussion on a rainy Sunday night in New York City. And he's a fellow New Yorker, so I'm sure he has to get back to his family. And uh, Let's just continue the discussion. We'll wrap the show. So basically, that's what we're going to do for the Sunday edition. We're back this Wednesday. We've got a really special guest. Her name is Sarah R. Adams. I'm waiting for her bio because I'm not sure exactly how to describe her, but she is a person of a a very uh, unique uh, frequency, if you will. Uh, I saw her on Gaia uh, being interviewed by George Norrie on Beyond Belief, and uh, she does astral travel she is really uh, tapped in in terms of communicating with uh, beings on other uh, dimensional planes and has a lot of insights. And uh, she's on all over social media and I'm thrilled to, that she's going to be on the show. I'm really excited about it. And uh, so we're going to have a very interesting discussion about frequency and vibration and how uh, what's going on in the world, what's really going on in the world today and how we can all uh, deal with it and live the best lives possible. Just like we do for Guys Guys Radio, when where men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. So that's our show for this evening. Again, we're back Wednesday. I'm going to play my little sound bite before we play our outro. And I'm going to thank you. And remember that uh, this is what we are listening to. You're listening to the Guys Guys Radio. <laughs> so... Thanks for being here this evening, and we'll see you on Wednesday. As I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.